And part of what we do as a, as a church family is um, you'll have noticed that we like to sing, uh, we pray together, but we also um, take the Bible seriously. We, we have a look at a part of the Bible together. Um, and our way of doing that is just to choose a book and work our way through it um, so that we're not picking and choosing the bits we like, but actually we're just looking at the next bit. And so this is the bit that we've got to. Um, 1 Corinthians 11, verse 17. Um, and uh, we're going to pray together and ask God to help us, and then we're going to read this passage together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that we can be here together. Thank you that whether we're here as a guest or whether we're here as a regular, Father, thank you that we can be here for this particular day. And we pray that you'd help us as we look at your word. Pray that you'd help us to understand it. Uh, in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, this was written by a man called Paul, and he was writing to a church uh, in a place called Corinth. And I'm going to read from verse 17, where it says, Correcting an abuse of the Lord's Supper. Now, at first sight, that may not sound like the most relevant thing in the world to you, uh, but hopefully by the end you'll see why it's got something to do with us. So, verse 17. In the following directives, I have no praise for you, for your meetings do more harm than good. Now, let's just stop there for a second. Um, if you said to someone, uh, you know, someone said, I'm doing some DIY, and you said, ah, oh, do you want me to come and help? And they said, no, because you will do more harm than good. Okay, you're, you're not going to, you're going to take that as quite a serious questioning of your ability. Here is Paul writing to this church, he says, when you meet together, your meetings do more harm than good. It would be better not to meet than to meet. Your, your Church gatherings are so bad. So that's fairly serious indictment. So we've got to work out why. What is it about what they were doing when they came together that was more harm than good? Because I'd like by the end to know what that is so that we can make sure that we do more good than harm. That's a, that's a fairly good ambition for us as a church that our service, our gathering would do more good than harm. I'd like that. We'll probably do a little harm along the way. But if we could do more good, that would be a, a terrific ambition. Let me pick it up from verse 18. So we'd better pin our ears back and hear what this says. In the first place, and by the way, when Paul says in the first place, he never gets to a second place. This is his one point, all right? <laughs> he may have been intending to write a few more, but this was the thing. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you. And to some extent, I believe it. No doubt there have to be differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. So then when you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper that you eat. But when you're eating, some of you go ahead with your own private suppers. As a result, one person remains hungry and another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? Certainly not in this matter. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he'd given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So then whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. 
For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ eat and drink judgment on themselves. That is why many among you are weak and ill and a number of you have fallen asleep. But if we were more discerning with regard to ourselves, we would not come under such judgment. Nevertheless, when we're judged in this way by the Lord, we're being disciplined so that we will not be finally condemned with the world. So then, my brothers and sisters, when you gather to eat, you should all eat together. Anyone who's hungry should eat something at home, so that when you meet together, it may not result in judgment. And when I come, I will give further instructions. So here's this church in Corinth. Their meetings do more harm than good. And it seems that the meeting, the thing they're coming together to do is to eat. That's fairly clear. They're having a meal together. And they're having a meal which they are calling the Lord's Supper. Now I think uh, it's fairly clear from this that that was a proper full-on meal. But as they came together, something really bad was happening. Something really messed up, something really ugly, something really bad was going on in this church. Okay, here's a question. Have you ever walked into church and found that a scary thing to do? Have you ever found it scary? Some of you will be sitting here going, no, that'd be stupid. Why would walking into church ever be scary? Okay, you're one group. Some of you are going, yes, most Sundays, walking into church terrifies me. You're another group. There are some people for whom the idea of walking into a church is terrifying because perhaps you don't feel like you belong. Perhaps you don't know who you're going to talk to. Perhaps you're not quite sure where you're going to fit. Who am I going to sit with? Is anyone going to want to talk to me? It's a terrifying thing. But let me paint a scenario which I appreciate for... For some of us may cause uh, a certain level of anxiety. I apologize for that, but go with it. And um, I'm deliberately painting it badly. I want you to imagine you've been invited to dinner at someone's house. And they said, could you come at nine? And it's fancy dress. Uh, And the theme of the fancy dress is uh, fast food. You say, okay, that's fine. I can do that. That's okay. I've got a chicken costume. I'll go as Kentucky Fried Chicken. It's all right. Although they don't have much chicken at the moment. <laughs> I'm going to go as chicken. It's fine. So you get your chicken costume on and you turn up at the door. And as you approach the door, you can hear there's quite a lot of noise already inside. A lot of laughing. There's obviously a lot of people there. You go, that's strange. I thought it was on time. And you open the door and you walk in and table is full of people and it's full of dirty bowls and plates and they're just serving coffee and no one's in fancy dress and you're standing there and everyone turns to look at you that's awkward right i mean even the most socially confident among us that's awkward and then you see them begin to smirk And it crushes you. Can I say to you, I think that is some people's experience of walking into church. That you walk into church and you feel like you don't belong. You feel like... That was certainly the experience going on in Corinth. uh, Minus the chicken costume. 
You see, what was going on in Corinth was that there was a group of people who were having dinner, they were going ahead, they were the kind of the in crowd. And then there were others who were joining later who were clearly excluded from the private dinner and Paul says, this is wrong. And Paul says, the first big thing I want to see is that there is a meeting that exposes division. Their meetings are exposing big divisions within the church. Why is it hard to walk into a group of people that you don't know? Why is it hard to walk into a group of people you do know, into a church setting? Why is that hard? It's because you're walking into a room full of egos, full of people who all have an ego. And you have an ego too. And you feel it as you walk into the room. You're, sure, you, you're not sure, where am I going to fit? Where am I going to fit? It's like, I don't know much about chickens. And I realize that my sermon is heavily chicken influenced today. But I'm told that in chickens, there's a very strong sense of hierarchy. There's a pecking order. That's where it comes from. Literally, the order in which you're allowed to peck. When a bigger chicken comes, the smaller chickens move. And that happens with human beings, that we have this sort of inbuilt sense that you walk into a room and think, where do I fit here? And if you walk into a room and you feel like you own the place, you walk in, you're kind of like, oh, here we are, yes, I'm okay. I'm high up the pecking order. But if you walk in and you look around and you say, actually, I don't think I should be here, I, I don't think I fit. Do you see? And this is what's happening in Corinth. And the way that they're doing church is highlighting the pecking order. It's emphasizing the ego. And there are two groups. There are those who've got a pretty good ego, strong ego, a sense of, yes, I'm, I'm important and I'm valuable. And you've got another group who have an anti-ego who say, well, I don't really deserve to be here. I don't really belong. And this group are hanging out with one another and having a great time. And this group over here are excluded. So have a look down exactly how he phrases it. Let me read it from verse 18. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you. And to some extent, I believe it. You're coming together and you're divided. Now look at verse 19. What do you make of this? No doubt there have to be differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. I'm puzzled about that verse. I think, I'm not sure about this, I think what's happening there, I think Paul's being sarcastic. I think he's saying, yes, no doubt there have to be divisions to show which of you have God's approval. So you're so obsessed about God's approval. You're so obsessed about being the best. You're so obsessed about being the ones, we're the in crowd, we're the ones with the gifts, we're the ones who matter, we're the ones who are important. And he says, verse 20, so when you come together, it's not the Lord's supper you eat. Because when you eat, some of you go ahead with your private suppers, you're the in crowd. And as a result, as a result, one remains hungry and another gets drunk. Do you see what he's saying? This is why the church does more harm than good. Because they're all jockeying for position, trying to get themselves in the best place, trying to get an invite to the best party, trying to get a seat at the table. And look at verse 22. See how he just nails them? Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? What are you doing? Or do you despise the church of God 
by humiliating those who have nothing. To humiliate someone means to uncover them, to expose them, to laugh at them. So as the, uh, as the chicken man walks in to the uh, party and everyone looks, to humiliate them means to go, ha look! To, to expose them, to say, look how stupid they are. That's to humiliate. And you might say, well, I'd never do that. Well, I think we do. I think we do every time we push ourselves forward. Every time we make a joke at someone else's expense. It's so easy to do. In fact, in order for me to go up, someone else has to go down. That's just the way it works in the pecking order. If I take your place, you've moved down a rung. And no wonder the church in Corinth was a scary place to come into. No wonder Paul says, what should I say? Should I praise you? Certainly not. Certainly not. So I want to say to you uh, guys, and if you're a visitor here, um, and perhaps you're not, perhaps you come because you're friends with Josh and Ali, or you, you're visiting us today, you're not a Christian, you're not used to church, I want to say to you that church is not supposed to be like that. There are loads of settings in life, loads of environments, perhaps workplaces or social environments, where it is like that. It is a pecking order and you have to try and fight for your place. Church is not, that is more harm than good. Church is not to be like that. But if our egos run out of control, and if I want to get noticed, then our meetings will do more harm than good. So this matters, right? So this means when we come together, are there just certain people that you hang out with? The people who make you feel better? The people who will push you up the pecking order? Do you see, what are the ways in which we subtly pull other people down to push ourselves up? Well, there's, a, there's an antidote to this. And here's the second big thing that um, Paul wants us to see. And that is a meal that expresses equality. Have a look what happens in verse 23. There is a meal that sits at the very heart of what it means to be a church. And this meal is foundational to understanding how a church community should work, how church community should function. Look what it says in verse 23. Paul says, I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed took bread, and then he takes a a, a cup, and there's this meal. Now notice, when did Jesus have this meal? It was the night he was betrayed. This is a meal that is forged in the furnace of human betrayal. This is a meal of of absolute poignancy. This is not a meal of some ritual kind of, oh, this is nice. This is a massively significant moment. On the very night when Jesus is betrayed by one of his closest friends, Jesus has this meal. And at the heart of this meal is bread and wine. Bread and a cup. And if you can understand the bread and the wine, you will understand why church cannot be a place of egos. Because this is a 
meal that expresses absolute equality. This is a meal that says everybody stands on the same ground. This is a meal that says there is no place for pride within the church. It's only level ground. And this is a meal that is all about the death of Jesus. There are two parts of the meal, the bread and the wine. The bread, Jesus says, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. What what was it that was required for Jesus to save his people? What was it that Jesus had to do in order to rescue his people? He had to give his body. His body had to be broken. You know, when Jesus came into the world, he could have come to humiliate, right? He could have come to point the finger. He could have come to say, look, you're so bad. All of you are bad. You're bad. You're bad. You're bad. You do bad things. You're naughty. You're naughty. He could have pointed the finger. Instead, what Jesus came to do was not to humiliate, but to cover. You know that the opposite of humiliation is to cover someone's shame. So in the chicken thing, trivially, slightly trivially, (laughs) here's the chicken man feeling ashamed and embarrassed. And here is someone who says, I'm not going to humiliate. I'm going to act to cover the shame. And they bring a huge bag. (laughs) No, that doesn't work. They bring a huge rug. No. What about if they say, actually, I've I've got a suit in my bag. Do you want that? So they do something to add, or perhaps they say, I'll oh, put the, give me the, ch- this is what they do. This is what they do. <laughs> give me the chicken costume. I'll wear the chicken costume. I'll bear the shame. Here it is. I'll bear the shame. You take my suit. Now that, in an, in an incredible way, Jesus comes into this world to say, to say I will bear the shame. Jesus comes into this world and he says, I will, I will cover your shame. Do you know, as I stand here this afternoon, there are many, many things that if you could see the truth about me would humi- absolutely humiliate me this afternoon. If you could see who I truly was, it would be humiliating. And that's true for all of us. If you knew everything I'd ever thought and everything I'd ever done, I would be so ashamed. I would never walk in here again. Not even in a chicken costume. And if you, if if everything you've ever thought and ever done was on display, it would be a shameful thing. And yet as Jesus sat down with his friends the night before he died, at the very moment of his betrayal, he broke some bread and he said, I'm going to give my body for you. I will bear your shame. He says, I know every single thing you've ever done and I know every single thing you've ever thought and I'm not going to humiliate you. I'm going to cover you. But Jesus, it's going to cost him his life. And this is why when we come to church, we can't boast. As we eat this bread, as we take bread, it is we're saying, I need the body of Jesus. I need the death of Jesus to cover my shame. I want nothing to be proud of. I'm not better than anyone else in this room. 
I can't show off. I can't push myself to the top of the pecking order. This bread says all of us are failures who need covering. All of us. And here is the one who says, I gave my body. It was broken for you. And if his broken body covers our shame, then his poured out blood establishes a brand new relationship with God. Jesus then says, take this cup. This is verse 25. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Jesus says, here's the cup and I'm making a new covenant a new relationship between you and God. And the basis of your relationship is not on your performance, but on my blood. At the cross, Jesus, his body was broken and his blood was poured out and he covers our shame and he establishes a new relationship with God and he says, it's yours. It's yours and it's a free gift. That's what we heard right at the start of this service. Free gift. Jesus doesn't offer bread and wine and then say, right now, you've got to pay. He doesn't say, right, let's have a look. Who of you here deserves bread and wine this afternoon? Who here has lived a good enough life? Yes, the special ones. You come forward. Why don't you come forward, the special ones, those who've done well? Let's have a private dinner party for you, and you losers can stay outside. That's not what Jesus says. Jesus says you would all be outside. But I died to welcome all of you in. Can you see why there can be no division among us? It cannot be that there are some that are more important than others. It just cannot be. And he said, I want you to do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. He expected us to do this and to do it often, to eat and to drink and every time to say, I don't deserve anything, but you've given it all to me freely. And as we eat and we drink, we proclaim his death. It's a meal that expresses our equality. Not that we're all equally wonderful and equally valuable, but we're all equally in need, equally undeserving, and equally covered and brought into a relationship with God. It's a very, very beautiful meal. And I have to say, I wonder sometimes we kind of take it for granted, we turn it into a bit of a ritual, Oh, look, we're having communion. No, what we're doing is we're saying our ground before God is absolutely level. And that brings us finally to a warning to be taken seriously. And this is the last little bit. And we're nearly there. So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. That sounds serious, right? But let's be really clear what he's saying. I think sometimes we read this and go, oh no, I sinned this week, I mustn't eat. No, that's not what he's saying. To eat it in an unworthy way is to eat it in a way that's proud, in a way that's about ego. To eat it in an unworthy way is to say, well, I'm better than everyone else. To strut down to the front going, well, yes, look at me, of course, it's me, I'm the best. That's an unworthy way. And that is to be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of Jesus. That is to eat his body and drink his blood, the symbols of those things, in a proud way. And that's why verse 28, 28, everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. 
It's a serious thing. We're to look, we're to see our heart attitude, we're to think about the way we're behaving. Verse 29, for those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. I think what he means when he says discerning the body of Christ is he means understanding that we're one body. The body of Christ is the church. And when we come together, we come as one people. That's why if you are sitting there and you know that you've fallen out with someone over here, you've got to deal with it. It's serious. It's a serious thing. Because it expresses our absolute unity and equality before God. And he says, if we refuse to do that, then there's danger. We are placing ourselves in a point of discipline where God may well act in a way to say, no, wake up. And Corinth, he says this shocking thing, that some of them have become weak and ill. A number have fallen asleep. By which I presume he means died, rather than just got bored of my sermon. But he says these things happen so that we might be woken up. God won't let his church become a divided thing. He won't let his church act in a way that does more harm than good. And if, if that's happening, then he will put a stop to it. So here's verse 33. Here's the big climax. So then, my brothers and sisters, when you gather to eat, you should all eat together. No more division. No more some people saying, well, I de- obviously I deserve to go. And other people going, no, no, I can't. And what a church we would be. Can you imagine what a church we would be if you knew that as you walked into church, you weren't thinking, how can I make myself look good today? What could I say that would be funny? What could I say that would impress people? Imagine, we every, imagine this. Everybody walked into church going, who could I love today? Who could I serve? Who could I build up? Who could I push ahead of me? Imagine if the pecking order was completely reversed and we were going, let's, have a, let's not have a pecking order. Let's have a something else order where we turn everything upside down and we're saying, no, I want, I want to see you flourish. I want you to do better. I want you to be... And, and we s- imagine that. Imagine what a place of security that would be where we didn't have to show off and we didn't have to try and impress because we all say, look, we're all failures anyway. And this afternoon, if you're sitting here and you feel like a failure, great. Welcome to church. It's what we are. Everybody's a failure. We're such failures, Christ had to die. Which is great because we can get over ourselves. We can stop being so proud of our own abilities and our own performance. So I wonder this week, even as we sit here this afternoon, even as we sing together, even as we head over, those who are able to head over for a meal. How are we going to do that differently? In a way which doesn't form our own little circle. And goes, oh, can I join your circle? Imagine there was just an expectation that we loved each other. I wonder if we could be looking out for those who are not being included. So we're going to pray together and... Um, and I think this passage helps us and challenges us. And, and I hope, if you're, if you're not a Christian here, I hope you can see how beautiful this is. A community where we don't impress, where we say together we have a Savior who died for us. And we're going to eat uh, this bread and drink this cup together now as a way of remembering what Christ has done. Christ who died to cover our shame, to establish a new relationship with God. 
And if you're sitting here this afternoon and you think, well, I could never take communion, I'm just not good enough. I, I don't really belong. Yes, you do. You're trusting Christ who died for you so that you can take, eat, drink, and find joy in him. So why don't we pray together? And, and here's, here's, here's the prayer. I'd love you to pray, Lord Jesus, please would I do more good than harm. As part of this church family, please would I do more good than harm. Who are you going to do good to as we leave this place? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that we have a king, a saviour, who covers our shame, who does not humiliate and expose us, but instead gave his body to be broken for us. Father, we confess that we have done wrong, that not one of us in this room can be proud and say that we're perfect. But we thank you that this meal expresses our need of Jesus and our absolute equality before him. Father, please help us to be a church that does more good than harm, we pray. Help us to be people in this church or in the churches where we go normally, where we do more good than harm. Father, thank you for the amazing good that Christ has done for us in his death. We praise you in his name. Amen.